Welcome to the Endurance Drive podcast. Our mission is to share the key principles that structure our approach to endurance training and coaching. I'm Jim. And I'm Katie. And today, Katie, we have released the monster. We have released the monster. It what, feels... what, what happened? I don't know what happened. I mean, I was expecting that we would release our three episodes into the ether and my mom would listen to the three and then maybe we'd go on our way. But it seems like we have more than one listener. Lots of feedback. Yeah, lots of great feedback. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much to everyone for the really nice texts and emails. We feel like we've connected with so many people in our community getting this type of feedback. Uh, athletes that we haven't seen in a long time or spoken to a long time, friends, family. Uh, we appreciate what you do so much and we're excited to be able to respond to your feedback, answer your questions, and keep putting out that content. I'm not sure what this text or this thing you call email is, um, <laughs> but I you know, I did receive a number of kind and supportive messages via the Endurance Drive answering machine that is connected <laughs> to our rotary landline phone. Yes. Were you standing uh, in the Norwich yeah. Town Center when uh, you got those? I was, exactly. Also received a few postcards and even a couple of telegrams. Um, <laughs> I have one right here. It says, podcast, period, congrats, period, jolly ho, period. (laughs) So that was nice. So glad to hear it. Well, we really, really appreciate it all. Any form of feedback is great. I would say text is probably the most streamlined, but overall, just so excited to hear from you and excited to keep it rolling. Yeah, seriously, it was great to hear from so many of you. And we've talked about doing a podcast for many years, but frankly, it's scary in a world where everyone has a hot take and social media magnifies opinions, good and bad. So we're grateful for your support and hope we continue to provide you with useful information and principles to guide your training and racing. And you know, Jim, one thing I think we got some of the most feedback on was the Zone 2 episode and all of the content in there. That's because we were the Zone 2 king and queen, right? That's our religion, so yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, but a lot of people thanked us you know, for that gentle reminder to stay in or, or get back to Zone 2. Yeah, to be patient and to see the long game, it's, it's, that's hard for everyone. And, and we all need reminders that you know, we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in a day and in, in a week and underestimate what we can accomplish in months and years. Yeah, I mean, I think I even needed that reminder this week. I was on the trainer for the first time, maybe this whole season the other day, and I hopped on and ambitiously decided to do one of our HIM interval workouts because I was like, why not? I feel great. I had a great season and very quickly learned that that was not going to happen in zone two heart rate. So pivoted to active recovery ride really tried to bring that average heart rate down and it definitely required a little bit of a check to the ego but i remembered our podcast congratulations so thank you coach for the okay. reminder great <laughs> so lots of listener questions katie you want to you want to jump in on some of those yes so actually yeah before we get into our exciting topic for today we do want to answer some questions that came up because they're relevant to these previous episodes so one that was really important that i think we overlooked a bit in thinking about season planning was this question about how to even choose a goal race to begin with and at this time of year we have a lot of athletes who are actually kind of looking at the calendar and deciding, okay, what should I sign up for as my goal race? And if you are lucky enough to have a blank slate of, hey, I can do any race distance, I could race any time of year, sometimes that's not the case. But if you are in that position, we have some thoughts on the best way to approach choosing that goal race. So the first thing we think a lot about is trying to optimize for the terrain that you live in. So we train and race mostly in New England. I've raced in other places as well. But right now we are sitting in Vermont and a lot of the races that we look for are those that are going to have very similar terrain to what we'll be able to train in in Vermont. So in particular, that's usually looking at New England, Mid-Atlantic. We generally will stay away from things like racing at really high altitude or racing in extreme heat and humidity. Again, we've done that plenty of times before, 
But in our experience, the very best race that you can choose is one that's going to approximate basically the climate and conditions that you'll have. So is it flat? Is it hilly? What's the humidity like? And what's the weather like as well as a big big part of this i think also what's important too is like we you know what what do you prefer what and and also like what are your strengths right yeah do you like hills do you like flats do you have a specific pr that you have in mind do you want to go super super fast say for example at the patriot half right which is a very fast race as opposed to the white mountain half which is really beefy course right yeah exactly and i think actually maybe one of the best examples of that for us was the decision to race Ironman St. George a couple of years ago versus times when we've raced Ironman Lake Placid. So Jim and I decided to sign up for Ironman St. George, I guess that was in 2022. So we decided in October of 2021 that it'd be a great idea to do an Ironman in the desert at altitude in May where it's, you know, an average of 95 degrees Fahrenheit during the race. And I don't know, that that didn't necessarily go as well as our experiences at Ironman Lake Placid where the climate is a lot like we're training in in Vermont, you know, in the days and weeks and months leading up to Ironman Lake Placid. In St. George, by contrast, it was really, really hard. We had fitness going in and nothing really could have prepared us for the experience of literally going to a different planet and trying to race there. So, you know, setting yourself up for success on race day, part of that comes to just that decision of which race you're going to sign up for. So think about that carefully as you're choosing your races for next year. Yeah, I mean, bad things happened at Ironman St. George. <laughs> and I don't want to talk about it. Yep, yep. This is a safe space. Don't worry. But maybe we'll go into the Ironman St. George story another time. Either way, just take our advice. And if you can, try to optimize for the terrain that you're in, the climate you're in, and of course, your preferences with respect to hills and flats, ocean swim, freshwater swim, all of the above. And I think, yeah, actually, you and I both had athletes this week ask us about choosing a race, like a trail race for 2024. We did. Yeah, I have one athlete actually who also lives in New England and is trying to figure out what she wants to do this year. And it's interesting because in New England, if you're trying to get ready for a trail run, the trails aren't really dry until, you know, often mid-May maybe. And so, you know, we can think about different ways. Let's say she really, really wants to race in April. Well, we can think about different ways that we could approximate the trail experience, maybe with some uphill treadmill work, some road work on, on hills. But at the end of the day, I think the very best bet would be trying to choose a race that's going to be later in the summer, gives the trail some time to dry out. And similarly, the training would approximate what you see on race day. Okay. So one more question we got was from terms of season planning was, um, is it relevant for those of us uh, not racing? And, and the answer is yes, of course. Um, you know, periodization is good for several reasons. We definitely need an off season of a couple months. We've already talked about that already for some, just some lower volume and allow your body to recover and bounce back for the next season. You have to really shed that chronic fatigue that you've built up over, over many, many months in the previous season. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think actually even this time of year right now is a great time for anyone, regardless of your goals, to be taking that time. And I'd say a broader point about all of this is that you don't actually need to be racing to have goals. So the idea of just wanting to get fitter or get faster or having you know faster and faster times going up your local hill in your neighborhood that is really, really great in terms of just structuring the way you think about training. So it's totally okay if you don't want to sign up for a race right now, but think about what your goals are and then developing some type of periodization around them is a great way to really help achieve them because at the end of the day, that's where we're going to see goals achieved with respect to fitness and just overall health, uh, this health joy and community that we talk a lot about. That's going to come from periodization, zone two, consistency, all the things that we'll kind of just keep coming back to over the course of all these episodes. 
Yeah, and thanks again for all the all the questions. Keep them coming. Yes, we, we love them. We want to make this a regular uh, feature of the podcast. But now we're on to our main event, episode four, which is injury prevention. Yes, yeah, and we mm. thought it would be a good time to do this episode because we're sort of at the beginning of our season. We don't want people to just come out of the gate super super excited and end up injured. And as coaches, one of the biggest things we focus on, one of our biggest goals as coaches, is help people achieve their goals without getting injured. So. We're really your partners in that, but we want to kind of go over the protocols that we use and the advice that we can share with respect to injury prevention. So hopefully people can kind of live out their whole season without getting sidelined from different types of overuse injuries. So I thought we'd give you 10 tips to start. And we were talking before the podcast started that this is really a, a lot of information and probably each one of these tips could be their own separate podcast. But we'll do a quick review of the top 10. Yes, absolutely. And this is also not necessarily an exhaustive list. So if you have other tips, please send them our way. We can promote them in future episodes. We love to keep developing content that can help people with injury prevention. So if there's anything that you've learned through your own injury journeys or non-injury journeys, please don't hesitate to share them. So with that, let's get started with tip number one. Jim, what's tip number one? Number one is take time off when needed. Katie, what does that mean? Yeah. So in general, we find that a lot of the time, if you take just one or two days off, if you have some type of niggle coming on, so something that maybe feels a little bit off but isn't a full-blown injury yet, that can prevent one to two months or longer off. A lot of the time, the body is just telling you, hey, this is a yellow flag. Things are not feeling very good. And one of the hardest things is that people often just say, okay, I'll just push through this single run. You know, it's starting to bother me at mile two, but in my training peaks, I know I have an eight mile run. So I'll do the eight miles and then I'll take a rest. But we really recommend as soon as something feels a little bit off, you need to inform your coach and just take a day or two. And if it's not feeling better after that, we can kind of talk about the roll down of what would happen. But it's so, so important. Just one to two days off instead of one to two months off is the place to start. Yeah, I really want to emphasize that. I, I can tell you that probably 99% of the time when an athlete says, oh, I have something, maybe my Achilles is kind of hurting, right? And we'll say, okay, let's take one or two days off. And you don't have to stop necessarily exercising. We can include another swim. We can put in a, a, another bike. So it's not it's not just the shut the body down, turn it all off, but it just allows us to, to reconfigure your training plan a little bit. And again, 99% of the time after a couple of days, those nickels will go away. And if they don't go away, then they're an injury and that's something else completely different. Exactly. But mm -hmm. if we're all, we're still in prevention territory, just start with those one to two days off. Now, related to this, tip number two is even if you don't actively have an injury happening right now, we recommend taking some rest days. So in general, in training plans for our athletes, that's usually one or two rest days, depending on your goals or overall volume. Often for many athletes, that'll be a Monday or sometimes a Friday, but it's really relative to your schedule. And those are really important for so many different reasons. Number one, you need to be able to let your body rebuild and repair. So actually, these muscular adaptations and these aerobic adaptations, they have happen not while you are training, but afterwards. And that's something really counterintuitive. You might think, okay, well, I'm at mile six of my eight mile run. That's where I'm getting these adaptations. But there you're actually just getting a lot of muscle breakdown. So if you take that time to just rest and let the body do its thing, you will bounce back so much stronger the next day. But if you're never taking those days off, you're just going to be digging a hole that gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And deep in that hole, that's where all of the injuries live. And we don't, we don't want to do that. So what you're saying is stress plus rest equals growth? That is true. This is not a math podcast, but that is a math equation that we totally subscribe to. So stress plus rest equals growth. And Katie, what about on those off days? Should we 
Should we periodize our fueling? Should we eat less? Should we eat more? What should we be doing? Yeah, we actually get this question a lot. And I would say you shouldn't really be changing your eating much at all. Think about that day as a time to rebuild your energy stores and top off your fuel tank. So if anything else, you know, you should be eating extra such that the other days where you have so much training volume that it's really hard to stay on top of fueling, at least you'll go in with a little bit of reserve. So don't think of that as a time to restrict. We're never pushing any type of restriction. But in general, especially on those rest days, treat yourself, sleep in, eat a lot. You can do some light zone one activities if you want. So take a walk with your family, do some mobility focused type work, do some yoga. But in general, just use it as a little bit of a break from the relentless volume that we're doing the other days. And that one segues into number three. Yes, it does. Which is the topic that every triathlete hates to do. (laughs) (laughs) But that is uh, strength, strength and mobility. Yes. Right. It's and understandably it's hard. We we are we're all busy people, and managing load of uh, swim, bike, and run is is really hard. So it is difficult to find time to do uh, strength and mobility, but it is super important. So just a few. We, we'll probably do an episode on, on we strength, strength yep. as well. But just in, just a quick overview. We really want to focus on these compound exercises, and compound exercises are those are the ones that use the multiple muscle groups in one exercise. So for example, a good compound exercise is a bench press or a deadlift or a shoulder press or pull-ups and and squats and there's lots of variations on these exercises you can use a barbell you can use a dumbbell kettlebell bands there's really all kinds of ways to do this and and really just you know start easy and light and, and then eventually progress to heavier weight over over weeks and months this is particularly important for our master athletes. They, they are just losing muscle mass and strength just quite rapidly after the age of, of 40. Not that anybody here is over the age of 40. But. <laughs> <laughs> no one on this podcast is over the age of 40. But yeah, especially master athletes, but truly all ages, we do recommend strength training. Ideally, you know, three times a week during the off season and then base period and then maybe moving more into two times a week in the on season when you're just having that really, really high specific race prep volume. But in general, you know, do it the way that you want to. Too, but you need to be getting that strength training because you are bulletproofing your body against different types of injuries. And if you're not clear on how to do some of these exercises, um, YouTube is, a, is obviously a great resource, but also, you know, think about, you know, hiring somebody, a personal trainer for even just a, a few sessions to give you proper technique, because it is super important to do, for example, squats, you know, and deadlifts, do them properly, right? So, so get, get educated first, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And always reach out to us for ideas on the right people to connect you with. We, at the end of the day, are not trained strength coaches but we can provide recommendations on exercises to do and the resources that you need to execute them well number four warm up and cool down also something that triathletes just hate to do yes if you're the type of person who is sitting at a desk all day and then it's three o'clock it's time to go for your run you jump up and you go straight out the door and you do it you might be doing something wrong and you might be in precarious injury land, especially in the winter, which we're in right now, cold temperatures. That's the last thing that you want to be doing. So, Jim, how do you approach the warm up for endurance activities? Sure. So I think about so the goal of the warm up is to, to gently ramp, you know, from our sitting heart rate to to an exercise heart rate. So as Katie says, it's not great to go from sitting all day long. We're all these indoor cats sitting at our desk with a heart rate, you know, say sixty or seventy, and then we just hit the road and off we go to the street to heart rate one thirty, one forty, right? Okay, so in practice, what does that really look like? We 
really advocates um, some level of uh, five to 10 minutes of walking before running, um, also including um, some run drills and some some gentle plyometrics. And um, also, even before you're going out, you have like a, a glute activation routine. Mm -hmm. I really like recommending that for female athletes, especially, although it's great for everyone, just because there's some interesting research on how the female Q angle, which is sort of the angle between the hip and the knee, can lead to some glute medius instability and weakness. So I really, really push a short glute activation routine with bands. But that is great for everyone because we can always have stronger glute meads in advance of runs. So a cool down in post-workout. Katie, what do you do? Yes. So cool down routine. Uh, first of all, if you're doing something hard, you know, if we're into that more specific prep, more speed work, stuff like that, it is really good to have, you know, five to 10 minutes of walking or easy jogging, at least if it's a run after your workout. Similarly on the bike, five to 10 minutes ramping down into really, really easy swimming, spinning, uh, easy swimming if you're in the pool. And that's just because you're going to be pretty amped when you're, you know, there's a lot of lactic acid pooling in the muscles at the end of those really hard intensity sessions. And so you need some time to kind of let that shake out. That can be, you know, as we said, lots of different forms, including walking. And then as soon as you finish that workout, we have a pretty special routine about what we do to kind of kickstart your recovery, even when you're done moving. So Jim, what does that look like? Oh, so I, well, the killer app for me is the dry shirt and, and the protein shake directly thereafter. Um, so, so for me, any workout that's more than a few minutes from home, like I'll, I'll bring a bag with a dry shirt and a protein shake. And in the winter, like now, I'll include a hat and a warm jacket, and I'll put that on right afterwards, uh, especially if I'm going to coffee or, or to run errands. And what I'm really trying to do is I'm really trying to think about my next workout, right? The, the next workout starts immediately after your last workout ends. So fuel and recover to ready yourself for the rest of the day and tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow's workout. Okay, so tip number five is to incorporate cross-training. And triathlon is already three sports, swim, bike, run, so you're already doing a good amount of differentiation with your sports if you're a triathlete. But even if you're doing those three sports and weightlifting, we think it's great to, especially in your off-season, consider incorporating other types of sports just so that you can get different planes of movement going. So Jim and I, we really like hiking, Nordic skiing. There's a lot of athletes that we work with who will do yoga or Pilates or dance or different forms of other sports. Can I add a sport to that list? Sure, add a sport. Okay, basketball. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a number, a number of years ago, I bought a basketball because I thought it'd be fun to, uh, yeah, to, play, to play with friends. And, and also really just needed to, I wanted to move sort of, sort of side to side. Uh, and up and up and down. So I call it my organic plyometrics machine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good cardio too. It's I mean, great cardio. Zone two. Yep. It's a, so it's really just a creative way to to incorporate those other planes of motion, and also these really quick bursts of speed running mm -hmm. up and down the, the court as well. Lots of jumping for for speed and power training as well. Absolutely. Well, go get a basketball. Ask Santa for a basketball for Christmas, and mm -hmm. maybe you will actually become a basketball star instead of a triathlete. <laughs> That's our goal here at the Endurance Drive. Right. Exactly. Convert You're... the masses to basketball. <laughs> Number six is proper form. We love proper form. Yes. Mm. So it's super, super important to have good form and good technique in all three disciplines, so swim, bike, and run. One way to do that is consider videotaping yourself. You can send those videos to your coach. That's us. And we can take a look to try to help you figure out, okay, are you heel striking, for example, on the run? Are you doing some crossover when you're taking a swim stroke? In general, these are things that do take a little bit of time and iteration to nail down perfectly. But if you're progressively over and over again doing 
these sort of maladaptive motions that can lead to injury. So you want to figure out how to correct those imbalances and work on your form. And we as coaches can give you a lot of tips on technique and making tweaks that will help you do it correctly. And we include a lot of run drills and technique videos in our training piece yes. as well. Yes, yeah, so. we do. Right. And my, I, I have a hot take. Everybody oh, right here. Yeah. Sure. Right here? Yeah. Okay. okay. So I, I tend to think about uh, running as the same as swimming, right? Okay. So everybody thinks of swimming as a, as a very technical sport and it is, it's almost all technique, but I really think running is as well, just as technical as swimming. Mm -hmm. so that's my hot take. That's good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say we are always in favor of technique practice. So if that's what you need, that can even be a great way to, if you're kind of new to the running world, but you have some experience swimming and biking, for example, we'd recommend a technique block on running before mm -hmm. we even try to build mileage. And then similar for swimming, we're not going to have you do a 4,000 yard swim before we know that you can do those yards pretty smooth, pretty cleanly. So in general, technique all the way. And we'd say that if you're, you know, having trouble with this and just working with us in videos isn't getting you there, there are professionals that do this. So you could work with a physical therapist. You could get what's called a gait analysis where you're going to be recorded with very, very detailed uh, biomechanical analyses. You can do a bike fitting to do something similar on the bike because you want to make sure that you're riding a bike that's properly fitted to you. You should not really be having any neck pain, shoulder pain, back pain. If you're numb anywhere, that's not what we're looking for. So bike fitting can help with that for proper form right and also if your bike doesn't fit properly you won't be able to hold arrow which is really super important for the you know for our long distance athletes right mm -hmm. you've always we always say you don't have to go fast just to just be arrow for a mm -hmm. long for a long period of time and also if your bike doesn't fit and you're a short course athlete you won't be able to generate the the power and the watts that you need right that's critical for for those you know for olympics and sprints right so you want to be comfortable there so yeah we always say if you're serious about triathlon or, or cycling you should, you should really need to invest in a professional bike fit and especially if you're considering getting a new bike, it can be advantageous to go to a bike shop because sometimes there will be deals where they're willing to fit you on a bike with a purchase or you can get a discount on its own. Bike fitting can be a little bit expensive. So just keep that in mind when you're budgeting for a new bike. We think that that fit is so important that you should probably assume that that's part of the cost and then scale accordingly for the bike that you're going to get. Number seven, eat. Yes, fueling. We cannot emphasize enough how important it is to eat enough to prevent injuries. In general, we kind of think about it as always wanting to have sort of a reserve or a buffer such that when training gets hard or if you get sick or, you know, anything goes haywire in life, you're not going to get blown off the cliff. You want to be several feet away from the edge of the cliff. So in general, you know, think about following good practices for nutrition and of course we could do a full episode on nutrition and hydration in another episode but just some key things to think about are number one you want to be fueling before activity we don't really recommend fasted training and you should be mostly focusing on carbs before long endurance activities and then during activities you know usually anything that's over about 75 minutes we want to be taking carbs in during the activity if you want to take it in for even shorter activities it's not going to hurt so think about you know different types of liquid sources or things that are really easy to get down and we can give recommendations on that and then after just like jim was saying before have that shake ready to go you're usually looking for a mix of carbs and protein usually like a three to one carbs to protein or four to one ratio and then throughout the day whole foods fruits veggies healthy fats etc nutrients you want to not restrict you want to make sure that you're topped off at all times and we talked a little bit in our female athlete episode about relative energy deficiency in sport. I want to clarify that that's something that can affect both male and female athletes. But that is something that literally comes from just not eating enough and can lead to injury, illness, at its worst, bone stress injuries in general. So just make sure that you really, really think about this. And if you're struggling with it, 
get some help, talk to a nutritionist. There are sports nutritionists out there. Um, talk to your coaches too. We just really, really want to prioritize this. Number eight, put your phone away. Yes. And get some sleep, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so just like eating enough, you need to sleep enough. You want to allow a lot of time in your schedule for rest and relaxation, which is probably really hard when you're super busy and you're training for an Ironman or any other type of race. But you need to prioritize usually seven to nine hours of sleep per night, depends on the individual. And it's important because that's when all the repairing happens. So we talked about rest days, but sleeping at night is sort of that micro cycle overnight where you're going to repair a lot of the damage from the workouts of the day. So, you know, track your sleep, maintain a consistent bedtime and wake up time. You just really want to be super intentional about that because if you're falling off the wagon on sleep, you're not going to get your adaptations and you're going to get injured and you're going to be really tired going into your workouts, which will mean you're will kind of fall apart and number nine is back to our old friend zone two yes um, like we've talked about before right so your risk of injury goes down considerably when you're training in sort of a zone one zone two i actually had a couple questions people saying am i really training in my if i'm training in my zone one is that okay i'm like yes that's that's more than okay we really advocate that as well so number nine stay stay in zone two yes and we can mm -hmm. think about just impact being a lot lower too you're not going to be pounding the pavement so hard if you're going a little slower a little more softly a little more intentionally so just keep that in mind and our last one number 10 is something we talk about a lot with our, our, our newer athletes which is you want to establish some sort of, you know, we call it a body care team when you start off. This could be a local physical therapist, a sports chiropractor, a sports massage, a strength trainer we've talked about, bike fitting we've talked about. You may want to loop in your primary care doctor, maybe a dietitian as well. So you want to develop this, this local network to help you support your endurance journey. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you have something come up that doesn't necessarily respond to one to two days off, you may want to go and check in with a professional, see if you can have someone take a look at it. Often, you know, you can get in with a sports chiropractor, a sports massage person, or a physical therapist a little bit sooner than like a sports medicine doctor. But our goal is that you don't have to go all the way to the doctor. Hopefully you can kind of work things out, especially if it's soft tissue related in these earlier stages. However, there are of course circumstances in which you're going to need to see a sports medicine doctor and establishing that relationship relationship is great. Just knowing who in your area is a good recommendation for that. You can definitely ask us for recommendations in the areas that we work and live and train in, but overall just make sure that you have those contacts sort of on standby in case anything does come up. Wow, we did it. Number we did it. Go, number 10, right? Yeah. So the core message I'm yes. under all of this is you want to have some open dialogue uh, with your coach, right? Yes. Mm. It's really mm -hmm. difficult when, you know, we mostly coach in a more remote capacity for our endurance drive clients. We do see our Dartmouth triathlon athletes more regularly, but we don't really know if you have some type of injury coming on unless you tell us. So it's so, so important to do that. Don't wait. It's so much better if you tell us when it's just a little bit off and there's really no uh, level of information that we don't want. We really want to know if something's going wrong because so often it's just a little bit too late by the time we hear from our athletes and then, you know, we're trying to line them up with getting an MRI or going to some type of sports medicine doctor and there's a multi-month wait list, that's, that's the last thing that we want to see. So in general, just tell us if something's going on. So what you're saying is we're like TSA. If you see something, say, say something. something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Endurance Drive TSA. That's us. <laughs> Thanks, peeps, for listening. Again, keep sending in your questions and we'll, we'll keep at it. Yes. And we're excited for one more episode before the new year. So tune in next Thursday. We'll be dropping new episodes every Thursday. And please consider following us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, giving us a rating, giving us a review. If you hate it, we want to hear it. If you love it, we want to hear it even more. So yeah, please reach out. We love to hear from you all. And thank you so much for the support.